Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Josh Pate, he is a national college football writer for 24-7 Sports as well as the host of the Late Kick podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Late Kick Josh. Josh, really appreciate you joining us this afternoon, man. How you doing? Well, I'm doing good. I could be doing better. You say it's beautiful over there, and I'm one state away, and we touch each other, and I am in an absolute downpour in downtown Nashville right now. So if you have any way to execute a trade, I would love to talk. <laughs> well, well, we are, we're a little on the more overcast and rainy side of it, too, but we just look at it as every single day is a beautiful day when we can come on here and talk some sports. You know, it's a little cliche. But uh, it, it's still it's still a lot of fun to do. It's it's just one of those like type of type of metaphors, if you know what I mean. I like that. You should be like a like I don't know what Sam Pittman has in the way of sports science up there and the mental side of things, but that's the kind of that's the kind of mental strength and conditioning I want in my program. <laughs> yeah, just the old ultimate optimist that's always looking at the positive things, no matter what it is. Yeah, maybe he can start something there and. And, you know, Josh, uh, something that really stood out to me, and I know that we'll get to a lot of different things with you, but uh, I've seen a lot of your videos that you put up on social media, and one of the things that you brought up was about Sam Pittman and about the culture that he is building at Arkansas, which, you know, here in Arkansas, there's a lot of excitement surrounding the program. People know all about it and really feel good about it, but it means something more when somebody outside the state of Arkansas kind of sees and has that perspective about the Razorback football program. So just elaborate a little bit more on it, on what you think about Sam Pittman, why he fits Arkansas, and why they're having so much success. Well, here's the ironic part. You talk about an outsider's perspective. The last opinion in the world I would value when it comes to is this guy the right fit for us is an outsider's opinion. Because by the very nature of what an outsider is, they tend to not know Arkansas. They tend to not understand what eat, sleep, breathe, Arkansas, like what that means. But you'll know it. Like in the backyard up there, you'll know it. So you guys have long since known that Sam Pittman is that guy. Now, ultimately, you could get a guy who's running a cracker barrel, who's your best friend and who eats, sleeps, and breathes Arkansas too. Maybe he's not qualified to run your football program. Luckily, Sam Pittman is both of those. Now, here's what I've observed. Uh, since I watch Arkansas, I already get it. I, I don't think it's any mystery. They just went 9-4 and four with the hardest schedule in the country, played both participants in the national title game, by the way. So, I mean, that's, Arkansas may be a playoff team if they had Cincinnati's schedule. But besides that, it's a destination. That, to me, that is the biggest name of the game here. He has made Arkansas a destination in recruiting, especially the transfer portal. And don't overlook this. It's the destination for coaches right now. That's why coaches have turned down other opportunities to either go to or to stay at Arkansas. And what I keep coming back to is in this world, whether it be recruiting rankings or you know, whether it just be trying to predict the outcomes of games where everything is made to be quantifiable. we got a number and a grade we can put on everything. You've got the one thing at Arkansas you really can't put a grade on, and that's culture. You cannot quantify culture. And that is going to continue to be true. And I think people from a national perspective are going to continue to overlook it a little bit because when they think SEC West, they think Alabama. Uh, they certainly think Jimbo and A&M right now. They will be thinking about Brian Kelly and LSU. I, I think the tendency in the national media apparatus is going to continue to overlook Arkansas. I don't think that that's any problem that they have because I, I think they love that role. I just don't want to be in that camp. I don't want to be overlooking Arkansas and make myself look foolish because I think, to me, 
a lot of what we're talking about right now, this is not controversial. This is right up in your face. I don't know how you deny it. Well, based on this past season's success, uh, the way two early rankings that are out there, there are many that have Arkansas ranked really high within the top ten. So do you think that's about right, or do you think that's a little too high? No, I don't think it's too high at all. Um, Here's my difference, though. When I look at this, I wouldn't have had a problem if you put Arkansas in your final top ten. I wouldn't have had a problem with it. But a lot of people would because they would say they have four losses. I, I am not a believer in the college game of the phrase or the adage, you are what your record says you are, especially when I'm power rating you. Like, we're talking about a merit-based bowl selection system. Okay, whatever. But if I'm trying to truly figure out, like an odds maker, what the best teams in the country are, I've got to take into account your strength of schedule. And so they finished last year with four losses against the toughest schedule in the country. And me knowing all the while, if they played Wake Forest schedule, they're in the playoff conversation. So I don't really value the win-loss record as the end-all, be-all here when comparing them to other teams. And so coming into this year, I would feel the same way. You could either be the kind of guy who looks at their schedule and says, okay, win, win, loss, win, loss. I think they're going to be a four-loss team. That doesn't equal top ten to me. Or you can ask, well, let's view them in relation to the rest of the country. And there are some teams that are going to be ranked in the top ten that would get destroyed by Arkansas schedule. So I don't really care what I project the record to be as much as I do how they compare to other teams. I think Arkansas compares very favorably. They're a very hard-nosed team. They're certainly going to have top 20 to top 15 roster talent, and that's being conservative, probably a little bit higher than that. You finally have experience along every critical metric of that team, really, from quarterback to any coordinator position or something like that. So I feel very good about saying that. I don't think that's too lofty praise at all. When you mentioned uh, the quarterback situation, and to me that's going to be the difference of what makes Arkansas just as good or maybe even better next year is K.J. Jefferson and him returning where he had a great year this past year, didn't turn the ball over a lot, uh, has definitely become a a pretty good favorite here in the state of Arkansas. How big has he been to the success of Arkansas, and how big will he be to them uh, being able to add into the mix of how they could be successful next year too? Very huge because I don't get the feeling that that's a guy who's going to let anything – get to his head, and it, it and in turn it gives them such continuity. It is so nice when you know you've got uh, – when you don't enter spring with a big question mark at quarterback, it's just such a luxury. Because then you go from trying to implement and start from scratch to you get to build on and you get to fine-tune, and that's what you get to use spring for instead. And that's why continuity is so important there. But, see, that goes back to that culture thing. This was the big secret Dabo Swinney had that people eventually figured out, they kept wondering, how is Clemson so good? They don't recruit top five. How are they so good? Well, they were so good because he had the right people, Dabo had the right people in place, and they didn't leave. And so they weren't having to start from scratch every year. I mean, Alabama can do that. Outside of Bama, that stuff's really hard to do. And Sam Pittman's got some of that same stuff going on at Arkansas right now where you've got probably whatever the average continuity rate is in college football, they will always meet it or exceed it going into spring and therefore they're always going to have a little bit of leg up that's not going to be noticed in preview magazine culture but it's going to be there now arkansas is um they're they're going to face especially defensively they're losing quite a bit on defense um the strength of the team right now is quarterback and you have good running backs but there's a lot of unknown so how do you feel about teams that have a lot of unknown going into the next season well i i always view the unknowns 
with the backdrop of that C word again, culture, but also what am I asking them to learn? You know, am I plugging them into one of the most complicated defensive schemes in America, or am I plugging them into a system that's probably built to be a little more adaptable and easier to pick up for a younger guy? And I think that's what Arkansas runs. Like, I think that's what they've been doing there since Sam Pittman got there, and that is very much being in tune with understanding weaknesses, limitations, strengths, and he's looked at it, and his staff looked at it and said, we don't want to implement a defensive plan that just works for 2020 or 2021. Let's put something in that year over year is transferable. And also, if we have attrition, which everyone's going to have, we're no different than that, then have kids stay here nine years, we're going to be able to plug new pieces in. And as long as we trust them from a culture fit, a character fit, as long as they check our athletic critical factor boxes, we are not going to have to be crippled by the fact that they're a sophomore or they're a freshman. We can develop a system that is simplified enough, but also effective enough to where they pick it up. I think Arkansas is in a good place there. I will not view that as sort of a a 10-pound albatross around their ankle this year. We're speaking with Josh Pate, the host of the Lake Kick podcast on 247sports.com right now on Out of Bounds. And, and Josh, one of the things that has also been added that's affecting a lot of different teams, of course, is the transfer portal where teams are losing guys, but they're also gaining guys. And with Arkansas, you know, they lost guys like Greg Brooks Jr. and Joe Fouché, which here in Arkansas at the time, people were kind of concerned because they're like, hey, these guys are experienced defensive backs. But then you see what Arkansas adds into the mix with the transfer portal. They had a visit from one of the starting defensive backs from Georgia last night. Uh, The transfer portal has been great for recruiting, but Sam Pittman has really taken advantage of it too. Yes, he has. I don't see any reason to think that won't continue. And here's the other important thing to remember for the listeners and us. Uh, We're still pretty new in this whole transfer portal era. It's important to remember you kind of have two de facto windows that have formed. you got the postseason window, which is what we're in right now, and that goes from essentially whenever you play your last game to the start of spring classes. And then there's going to be a lull, so we're coming up on a lull. After spring practice, though, that's the most critical window to me. Because then you've got guys who have felt out where they're going to be in the pecking order of their current team. You've also got staffs who have looked around through spring and said, where are our holes? Where are the final slots we need to fill? And then you're kind of marrying those two concepts. So there's a whole new market that forms as a result of spring practice. And so where Pittman and and his crew are right now is they get to feel it out, and they've already made some huge additions. I mean, I'm in love with the Drew Sanders move. I'm in love with that. But that's not where they stop. And it may not be where they stop. And they're not the only staff doing this right now, but that's internally what a lot of staffs look at. They look at the windows, and they understand – If we haven't done everything we want to do roster-wise by the start of spring practice, it used to be that when you went into spring, that just is what it is. Uh, It's not that way anymore. You can make some last-ditch emergency moves even after spring. So we've talked about being high on Arkansas, and outside of the usual teams that we hear about, Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, maybe Clemson bouncing back, who do you really like going into this next season? I, I mean, it's going to be one that you hear all the time. But I really think Ohio State is not in a make-or-break year, but they're in a prove-it year. They're in a year, this upcoming year, kind of like Georgia was this past season, where anything short of a championship, at the very least a championship appearance, is going to be viewed as a disappointment from the fan base. Now, the difference is, most of the time, if someone said that to you, you'd say, oh, you're crazy. 
in this particular case, I don't think it's crazy. I never think it's crazy when a fan base has invested like they've been asked to invest and they respect the return and they expect a return on it. Now, if you don't show up to games, like if you're a USC fan right now, I don't want to hear you complain. But if if you do everything you're asked to do, I don't have a problem with you expecting a, a sky high return on your investment. And Ohio State fans are looking around saying, "Hold up, we got a Heisman caliber quarterback, and we got multiple first round draft talents at wide receiver. We recruit where we recruit every year. I mean, we've got this this mega staff. Uh, we didn't even play for the Big Ten championship this past year. Like, what is that? And so, I look at them." And if you were to tell me, man, it's going to be a massive waste if we have C.J. Stroud and these receivers and we don't ever even play for a national title with them, I would buy that moving forward. Now, I know they played in it last year. I would buy that from them. So Ohio State is a team that I would circle. I'm extremely interested to see how this entire thing shakes out at Tennessee. Josh Heupel, they started to get a little traction under themselves offensively this past year, and they strike me – as running the kind of offense that's not going to need to be equipped with top five recruiting talent every year. They need to be in that top 15 range, yes. But I, I don't think he's going to be an easy out, and I don't think Tennessee is going to be an easy out. You know, that's kind of leading into my next question, is just as far as Alabama and Georgia kind of running things when it comes to the West and East, uh, respectively, in the SEC. And I was going to see, you know, a lot of people are thinking A&M. You mentioned Tennessee. Could you see in the next three or four or five years some other team not named Georgia or Alabama making a stand and not only winning their division, but possibly winning the conference. Yeah, I don't know that we know what to expect right now. I will tell you the early returns have been very positive from Billy Napier at Florida, and they haven't even coached a spring practice yet, much less played in a game. But he came in down there. I think they were stunned. When that staff walked in the door down there, I think they were stunned at how easy it was going to be to win the locker room, to give the listeners there in Arkansas an idea. They had dreadful dorm conditions down there. They had dreadful nutrition conditions. And when I say dreadful, I mean in comparison to the SEC. So Napier comes in. And just say this sentence out loud and think about how crazy this is. He overhauled both of those things. And Billy Napier essentially won the locker room before spring practice by just giving guys food and shelter, which sounds like it's a rescue mission, but it's actually the University of Florida. And so they've gotten a really good staff in place, which a lot of people, frankly, doubted he could do. They're attacking the transfer portal. They've hit the ground running a lot faster than people thought they would in recruiting. So those are nice ornaments. We've got to find out what the Christmas tree is made of. I get that. But if you're telling me five years down the road someone unexpected is going to be making a move, it wouldn't surprise me if it were Napier at Florida. Along those same lines, Brian Kelly makes a move from Notre Dame to LSU. So what do you expect to see from LSU under Brian Kelly this season and moving forward? I think this season's a total wild card because, I mean, they're, they're hitting the portal as hard as anyone. So you will not know anything about LSU 2022 by watching the 2021 team. Everything's different. Texas is going to be kind of the same way. But with LSU, here's the thing that I am probably going to be saying a whole lot leading up to, to the fall. Brian Kelly does not run a revolutionary offense. And the reason I say that is he's not going to come in and have anything at LSU that's going to take the conference by storm. He is planting a lot of seeds down there, and I believe in him. Like Brian Kelly's got a proven track record. But unlike when Gus Malzahn got to Auburn once upon a time, Brian Kelly does not have anything new he is bringing down here that people are going to have to adjust to. Everyone knows who Brian Kelly is. He's faced a number of teams in this conference. He's planting seeds 
And I don't expect them to have taken root uh, by the time we get to fall camp 2022. So there are going to be some growing pains this year. What I'm looking for is week-over-week incremental improvement. I'm certainly looking for locker room and roster buy-in. I'm also looking at what they do in-state in recruiting once they have the benefit of a full cycle under their belt. Those are the kind of things I'll be looking at with LSU this year. Now, Josh, I just like asking this generic question because I think everyone's got an opinion on it. But we know we all love college football. It's so much fun, and it's so great, and it's my favorite sport, and I'm sure it's yours as well. But just heading into next year in 2022, is there something in college football you would like to see, something change, something adjusted, something added? It can be as far as the game or a team or anything. Like, Just what would be something you'd really like to see in 2022 in college football? I'd really love to see people take – I'd really love to see conferences take a greater burden of responsibility for the officiating product that we put on the field in college football. I don't think it's good enough. I'm not a guy who complains about officiating every quarter, but I think if you, if you were to take a large enough chunk of sample size of this sport, SEC and otherwise, I don't think our officiating product meets the standard it should meet. And this is a – I mean, it's a billion-dollar sport with like a nickel-and-dime officiating arm right now, and there's no reason for it. And right now you would be told, well, Josh, you can't be overly critical. These guys are just part-time. You know, they don't make a whole lot of money doing this. Well, look, that's a straw man argument because the moment I tell someone, okay, we'll make them full-time if that's what it takes. Pay them a full salary if that's what it takes. You know you can afford it. They go, well, no, there's more to it. If there's more to it, then don't make that the front-facing part of your argument. That's a straw man. That's the very definition of that. For whatever reason, conferences and this sport as a whole – have, they've been too hesitant and resistant in raising the standard of officiating. You don't ever get an answer. I mean, when do we really know what's going on? How do you know how much a crew gets penalized? This has bitten Arkansas as much as any team in the conference, by the way. How does an Arkansas fan know when they get robbed of a game in Auburn a couple of years ago? I mean, outside of a letter that may or, not, might, may or may not be sent to the athletic department Monday morning, how do you know any punitive measures are really being taken? How do you know any corrective measures are being taken? Because someone tells you they are? Like, how do you know that? And do you see the evidence of that? So, you know, I mean, I don't want to sound irresponsible in saying that because I know people complain about officiating all the time. I think some of it's valid here, though. I'm kind of with you on that, man. You couldn't agree more, and especially because you mentioned Arkansas. Fans here in Arkansas, it's just almost like, all right, how many games are the refs going to screw us each year? It's just – it's just the way it is. But I agree with you as far as that goes. I wish that there would be uh, also some more uh, transparency when it comes to the officials and all those things, too. So who knows? Maybe one day we'll actually get that. But, but Josh, man, it was really good to talk with you. Appreciate you coming on with us this afternoon. And uh, I know we'll be catching up with you later down the road. All right, my man? Absolutely. I appreciate it, guys.